0: Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface-level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian, two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life.
1: So buckle up and don't be shy. Because yep, we're We're going going there. there. Hello, going there listeners. We are here today with a really fun... For some interview, we, Christian and I were just saying we've rarely done four
0: people on the mic. So I'm I know, excited so for you'll this. hear a lot of like chatter and banter yeah. today. We're excited to have Josh and Katie on. So, welcome, you guys.
2: Thank you for having Thanks. us. We're excited about it.
1: So, you guys are here, you're a married couple. You're going to talk about your new book coming out in January that's about your marriage. But to get us started, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, what you guys do for work, all the things about you. Well,
3: if we are Josh and Katie and we have seven kids. Oh my gosh. So That's probably one of the biggest things about Craziness. <laughs> Did not know that. <laughs> I know. It's pretty crazy. We wanted seven since we were 18 on our first date. We both said, how many kids do you want? And Josh was like, let's say it on the count of three. We said one, two, three, seven.
0: No. Wow. And
3: yes. But it feels like an actual miracle that we really have yeah. seven. Yeah. Because <laughs> we yeah. didn't realize how hard it would be. Right. Or that we would be the one raising them.
1: Yeah, You know, I think. You're like, oh, <laughs> we didn't yeah. realize
0: all the realities of actually having seven children. I feel like
1: it's more common to be like, I used to tell my husband I wanted five. And now we've adopted two children. I'm like, okay, like four. Seem, you know, you kind of start to like <laughs> yeah, yeah. It back a little bit. Christian's pregnant with her third, too. So we're yes. all experiencing like how many is going to be that
3: final yes. number. Well, so we'll, where will we end? Yeah, it's so yeah. true. And, We had five pretty early on before we were like 30, 31. And then it took us 10 whole years to have our last two. So our kid ranges are 20 to two. Wow. And all kind of stair-stepped in there. So we are definitely a big family, fun-loving, love the Lord, and live in Charleston, South Carolina. And we currently are in an apartment right now, a very cute apartment, I must say, because we're renovating our 16th house that we're renovating since we've gotten married. Wow, okay. crazy. We've been so married 22 Navinier years. Now that you
0: said seven kids, and then the apartment, I, I was, was going like, to say, "Sorry, this I, how does this check out?" I'm I like, is is everyone just sleeping like on top of bunk beds everywhere?
2: It's residential camping
3: for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Well, and we're only here for three months, and two of our older girls are graduated. One of them had been serving in Togo, West Africa, where our nonprofit is, and the other one's in school in Colombia. So okay. There's only five. Does that make it sound
1: better? I mean, that's yeah, a little better. I did the same thing. I'm but like, still. okay, they're living in an apartment. Like, let's hear the logistics of the bedrooms and all I that. I really thought yeah.
0: maybe this is like their working apartment. This I is where they too. work. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Instead of having <laughs> yeah, an office, you have like a little small escape. little apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's so funny. Okay, that's
0: awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So what do you guys do for work? You obviously mentioned the nonprofit. Explain that to us a little bit more. And then, yeah, what's yes. work life look like? So we both are on staff at Seacoast Church. Josh is
3: the executive pastor there. But eight years ago... I started a nonprofit called Francis and Benedict. It's a clothing line out of Togo, West Africa. So we also, when we were 18, had all these dreams of being missionaries. We thought we were going to live overseas. And then God called Josh to start working in our local church right after we graduated. And I never went on another mission trip for like 10 years. Once we got married and we're building our family But then when I went to Africa, God just gave us these dreams for this nonprofit. So we've been doing that for the past eight years, and we're going to share more of our story. But we ended up coming to Seacoast in a super broken place in our marriage. We were not on staff. We just wanted to be in a healthy church. And that was 16 years ago. So we just saw God start healing our marriage, doing so many miracles. And then Josh ended up going on staff. And it's been such a gift to just be here that vulnerable and broken from the beginning. We say we just never, never stopped doing that.
2: (laughs) We we
3: just stayed broken, vulnerable, accepted, loved by the people here. There's no like platform for a pastor that's separate. We're all just trying to live out the gospel. And so it's been a really great place for us to grow and heal and raise our family.
2: Which almost sounds funny as an intro, because it's kind of like, what the church is supposed to be everywhere yeah, <laughs> like, but yeah, since we like I was a youth pastor in Columbia before we moved. And I think we just felt this pressure that no one put on us. It was just cultural or pride within us, but to have it together, to know how to mm-hmm. do this thing and be tidy. But there was something really sweet about moving to Seacoast and Charleston in a really broken place just because there was no pretense or hiding. We were able to like Just really be needy people and see the church like rally around us to support and encourage and pray for. And Mm -hmm. so once God kind of got us on the other side of that season, yeah, it's been special to be a part of a church where we don't have to posture or pretend to be somebody we're not so
0: oh, that's so refreshing Man, say it all again yeah. Josh yes I'm like wisdom coming your way everyone because I'm like you know the whole saying of like vulnerability breeds vulnerability and somehow I feel like that got lost in like the western church yes. for some reason yeah. Yeah. for
1: certain people in like a power position maybe yes. or yes. and over I
0: hope how God is making me more wise and more like him it is so sweet and so awesome when you see someone in your church body just like come in with brokenness that like we all mm. feel yeah. But what just like the realness and rawness of what that is and how really honestly like displaying more of like God's character and his faithfulness in our lives as you like walk alongside someone in brokenness. And so
1: and what a great leader too to have like that as the example, because that for sure trickles down and we Christians on staff at our local church, we whenever we get to interview someone that. Isn't it interesting lately we've just heard certain people like really give that emphasis on local church and how important that is, whether they're big time authors or speakers and travel all around when they're connected and really passionate about being involved in their local church. We're like, yep, us too. That's so important. Like you have to have that. So love hearing all that.
0: Yes, I even love what you guys said about being missionaries because I'm like, yeah, you thought you were going to do that overseas. And now you get to do that in a home with seven children and a local church (laughs) domestically, different than what you thought. But obviously, God's still using you guys. But you're coming out with a book in January. It's available for pre order now. So congrats. It is called New Marriage, Same Couple. And so that's what we're here to talk about today. And we're excited to kind of dig into marriage. But just talk to us about that. Start with kind of your story of how'd you guys meet? What's life looked like? Bring us all through all of those details.
2: Yeah, so we met in college and it was like on the quick. I started at College of Charleston, moved back to Columbia and started hearing about this girl. We'd both really started walking with God in college, kind of grew up in the church, knew all the stuff, but didn't really have a relationship with God per se. And so when I moved back home, I started hearing about this girl, Katie. They were like, you got to meet her, man, but don't date her. She'll break your heart. Like, what? what is the deal? And so she was just pretty radical in terms of like a bunch of guys would ask her out for a date and she would ask about their quiet time, prayer life, church stuff. And if it was crickets or like it didn't seem like much was going on there, she'd straight up get up from the spaghetti and like end the date like, I don't need to waste time on. So when I heard about that, that. I was like, oh, that's my girl. I (laughs) got to find this girl. Yeah, girls that are
0: single, please listen to that. That's (laughs) that's awesome. That confidence. Yeah. 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 The spaghetti was great, but can't stay for dessert.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that question, you know, for all the single girls, I didn't realize that Christian guys were good looking because I was in the church, but I was pretty much just like a hell raiser growing up. So when I got to college and started seeing these guys go to this Christian stuff, and I don't know if that's in the South where we live. But I was like, wow, these guys are really good looking and they love God. And then you go to have dinner with them and you're like, so what have you been reading about in scripture? Or what's God teaching you? And they're like, uh. Yeah, it's more cultural
1: know? for them to go be a part
3: of the student ministry thing totally. too. Yeah. Yeah. They're in it for yeah. the club part of it or whatever. So it's just a good question to know, like, what is God doing in your heart? If there is no response, yeah. <laughs> it's a good indicator. You yeah. Know, of, yeah. Like I like that. Like question. where they're at. But
2: yeah. So we started dating our freshman year, ended up getting married December of our senior year. We were engaged for about a year, and then found out we were pregnant with our first at graduation that year. And, Happy graduation!
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were married a
3: whole four months yeah. before we were <laughs> pregnant, and
2: yeah, and then really never stopped getting pregnant from that yeah. point on. <laughs> had
0: bad. several
2: miscarriages. Had. Yeah, five kids pretty quick. And so anyway, we were both going to be teachers and spend our summers on the missions field. I ended up getting really sick on a trip. We went to to China to see Katie's dad and realized, you know what? I feel called to the Americas. And
3: it's because he had a Chinese beer. So I'm like, hey, that's
1: oh. what made you
2: sick. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. In a way.
1: Was your dad a missionary in China or there for work?
3: or No, it's kind of crazy. story. My parents got divorced and my dad started being a teacher overseas okay. since I was like six years old. So okay. he lived everywhere. So yeah. that was kind of where we got this idea of like teachers that were also missionaries because he had lived overseas for so long. Yeah. So.
2: Once we were here when we found out Katie was pregnant, our church youth pastor was leaving. We had been youth workers there and they were like, hey, would you be willing to do this? And I didn't have a job. We were pregnant. It was like, yeah, I'll do that. I can start my master's the next year and just realized over the course of that year that this was really all I wanted to do with my life in terms of ministry. Even teaching was going to be kind of an undercover pastor kind of situation. And so we... Moved on from that church. I started in seminary. We went to a church in Irmo, South Carolina, small church, tons of students there and not really any churches or youth ministries per se. And so that five years was exciting from a ministry standpoint, but devastating for our marriage and that church. We were kind of the youngest family in the church. Most of the uh, other couples were 10 to 15 years older than us. And Most of the kids were more middle school age. And so we were kind of in the thick of having babies, toddlers, and just fairly isolated in terms of people that we could really experience life with.
3: Yeah. And... This is very short version of what happened because, yeah. of course, it's so complicated and years of counseling later. But in that isolation, you know, we always tell couples that the enemy is there just waiting. He's very patient. And really, in our story, where I ha- confessed to an affair, nobody wakes up one day and decides to have an affair. It's just these slow patterns of drift that happen. And Mm -hmm. for us, Josh was working a ton at the church, but he would have said like, our marriage was okay.
2: And I would say like, in that season, Katie had mentioned, this was our 16th renovation. It's like, we had moved a time or two renovated homes. We were both getting our masters. We had started having kids. We were both working full-time and I just thought this was adulting, like figuring out mm-hmm. how do we work hard, how do we provide for ourselves. Likely have to do something other than ministry as well. You don't get into ministry for the money if we're gonna have all these kids. So like, we were still going out on dates and having sex and arguing. But I thought like, this is what marriage okay. is like. And so I didn't pick up on the drift that was actually happening in the midst of all the hustle and and parenting until.
3: Can yeah, so we had it? we just had our third son at the end of May, and that's when really things were kind of solidified with me and the other man after we had had that baby, and it was other things at play too. You know, I had him prematurely the third son. And he was really sick. He was like one of the sickest babies in the NICU. And that was causing a division between Josh and I, because there was a lack of patience on my part. Honestly, like the day I got off bed rest, I was like, I'm having this baby tonight. And I did, you know, and then he was so early. And so that happened at the end of May. And so we just had what I call like a summer of hell. I kind of told people in parts to just get it off my chest. And it was all deception, you know, wasn't really telling the whole thing, but I was telling certain people certain parts to try to get it off my chest. It's really hard when the Holy Spirit is with you to be actively in that kind of sin and rebellion. It's Really, really hard on the soul. And then in August, on August 8th, I went to a simulcast that Beth Moore did. And oh, Beth Moore. I've written her this email so many times. She was literally oh. on a screen and she was just like, There's a girl in here that's in a pit so deep she can't see her way out. And I was like, It's me. I'm in the back of the room by myself. And that night, the girl from the other couple came over to our house. So this is also part of the story is that they were our very close friends. They had moved into the church when, like Josh said, we didn't really have any friends and they were our age. We lived in the same neighborhood. We slowly were blurring those lines. We started yeah. not only hanging out every night, but drinking together and those kind of patterns that shouldn't lead you there. But it definitely is at play. it was at play for us. So she came over and was like, something's wrong with my marriage you know, I just don't know that my husband loves me anymore. And Josh is like, she even said, I think there could be someone else. And Josh's like, no way. Like, I know your husband, that would never happen. And so when she left that night is the first time I kind of cracked the door with what we say is like the first 10% of confession. And when I said to Josh, like, what if it's me? What if I'm the problem? And he started playing back all of what he was seeing and what he knew to be true. And that very private confession that I thought no one would ever know about became super public. I mean, they were in our neighborhood. So by the end of the night, we're all in the yard, everyone's crying, broken, shattered. The next day, Josh goes to the church, the church asked him to never come back, ask him to preach his last message on Wednesday and ask me to never come back. So immediately we were just isolated, broken, shattered. And then the next steps is like, what happens next? You know, where did we go? We went to a bunch of counseling that was not great. (laughs) And that happens for a lot of couples. Counseling is incredible. I see a counselor now and I do love and appreciate counseling, but it's really hard when you get to that point where you don't know if you can go on to one, have the time, the money, and then you're putting all of your heart and soul on the table for this one person so all that to say, that led us to probably about a year or two of still some deep places of pain. About six months later is when we moved to Charleston, and we found a couple that began mentoring us that started to sit with us every single week. They were not experts in marriage. They had not even ever been through an affair. They just loved us, and they believed that God was going to help it get actually us actually started
2: a small group they invited us to, and legit, over probably six weeks, it was maybe six or seven couples, every other couple either had like a shift change with work or their kids started a sport and that night didn't work. And anyway, it it ultimately ended up being the two of them and Katie and I every Friday night from Mm -hmm. like six to 10. And so it like, they were accidental mentors in the sense of like, they never signed up for (laughs) one-on-one care, but God had it in store. And man, it was just like the
3: And they just gave us a vision every single week of what marriage could be a healthy, thriving marriage. And I think for us, looking back on that whole season, that's why I say this is like a Reader's Digest version of all the needed work of how do you get to that point of sin. But Josh says those things about me that like I was that girl that just loved the Lord and was so passionate. And those things are true. But what I didn't have is this quality of endurance and faithfulness and the The thing that it really takes to be a follower of Christ, to live out the gospel, to die to yourself, to surrender daily and learn to actually love like Jesus did, love others as you love yourself. All of that season was just so much self-love for me. It was self-desire, trying to meet my own needs, my own desires apart from God, apart from Josh. And then fast forward, once our marriage had been healed— it took us about five years. Five years later, we counseled our first couple and I knew it was too soon because the whole way home, I was trying to like compare myself to their story. Yeah. I was like, you know, it wasn't that bad, right? Like yeah. I didn't do that much, you know,
0: <laughs> it was just
3: not yeah. the gospel, not good, not good stuff. And I knew we just weren't ready. You know, I was just wasn't healed yet. I think I preached like the next year and cried through the whole message. And my best friend was like, I think you're still not ready.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you know.
3: Don't you love a best friend that you can hear it like that from them?
1: Thank you,
0: Samantha. Willing to tell it. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs)
3: it's so true. Like, let's hold on this. But soon, God did allow us to share our story, so we kind of became that couple that people came to in crisis, and our church afforded us this opportunity to just meet with couple after couple, do small groups, and that's where the principles in the book really come from. Is To help couples that if one is like me and they can't imagine staying and enduring, they don't have hope that God can do the impossible miracles in their marriage, that they would actually supernaturally have that hope transferred to them through our darkest seasons of pain. But then also there's a lot of really practical principles of like, how do you actually go to a new place? How do you grow into a new marriage? Oh, my gosh. There's so
1: many
0: thoughts. I, I have. know so many thoughts. I have so many questions. Can we just backtrack yeah. a tiny bit? Because I want people to really understand your story for obviously what it is. That was obviously like great glossing over of a lot of details. Yes. But take us back because I think, yes, we will dig into your book. I know you have a ton of practicals in there, which we love practicals. So we are here for it and ready to listen. But Katie, take us to the place. So you talk about that night when your friend came over, you like crack open the door 10% into like this is my 10% confession. Do you remember where was your head at at the time? Were you like, I'm ready to confess. I know this is wrong. Were you like, I don't really feel like it's wrong, but maybe this is like the easiest way I can kind of start. And like, maybe then he can come to the conclusion and the words don't have to come out of my mouth. Where are you at? Or like, what's got stirring in your heart and mind? Cause obviously it's something you're willing to open up 10%. But where were you guys at at that stage? And Josh, what was that response? Because I look back on that night and I just feel like it had to have been the
3: Holy Spirit forcing those words out of my mouth. Because while I was convicted at the Beth Moore simulcast, every time I was convicted, I would convince myself, I'm just going to end it with this guy and tell him like, we can't talk anymore. But I would never have ever told Josh ever. And so I just think that was the Holy Spirit moment to let that come out. And it came out because I could see for the first time the pain that I was causing to someone else. Josh, I had really shifted blame. I talk about this in the book, but I had shifted blame on him so much that everything was his fault. I wasn't happy. It was his fault. I wasn't content with my place in life. It was his fault. And I had shifted so much blame. I had convinced myself he had feelings for the other woman. I really did not see up from down at this time. So I think that night it was honestly God because. That confession has changed our entire life because not only, of course, that confession had come out. because so it was a deep place of hiding. But from that point, when we were in a place of brokenness, Josh confessed things to me that he had never told me, not a moral failure, you know, but we had never had that intimacy of like, I love you even at your worst. And that's something that we've kept with us to this day. It has created the intimate marriage that we have. And we didn't know that that was what is needed. We thought you can kind of just have the best versions of each other and then hide the dark spots, try to pretend like you don't wanna share those. So I really think, again, that night was a part of our story, a part of God really shifting us and changing, especially me, to learn what true freedom was like because it took me about probably six months to really get out everything. I mean, I was still only giving him like a little bit. And then there would be things he found out that I didn't tell him that were devastating to him, to us. But once I really started to get freedom, even though it was painful for him, I would be confessing things like, Hey, I used to wear this headband because I thought he would like it. And when I realized when I would say that, it would bring us intimacy and then it would bring me protection because he could look back at me with eyes of love and he could say like, okay, let's get rid of that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like let's don't have anything between
0: us, you know, otherwise that thing just stays in the drawer. Yeah. I love that because when I hear your story, I was thinking, gosh, that's like really interesting because you hear different stories of different types of affairs, how they come out. And I just think it's cool how the Holy Spirit prompted that. That you are like, I didn't even really want to say it. It's awesome in our relationship with God that like he already knows our hearts and minds. So I'm sure as you know that truth, you're like, God, you already know the truth. Like I'm not hiding from you in this. But for some reason, I need to say the words. And when you are able to confess the words out loud, that like Satan does lose a stronghold on something that like... You are bringing into light something that you're holding in darkness. And so I just think it's interesting to you in your story that, yeah, you said like it took me six months then to actually unpack everything. But it started with just a prompting of the Holy Spirit of like, I kind of just need to like blurt out the words and it's going to make no sense. But how God really uses that and Satan loses control, which is really awesome.
1: And I think, too. Some things I heard from your story that I want to mention. We've had a few other people on to talk about an affair that God restored their marriage in. And I like hearing those stories because Christian and I have both been married about nine years now. I got married when I was in college. And I remember so vividly thinking, like, My biggest fear is obviously like spouse dying or an affair. Like those are kind of, I think for a young couple, maybe even for some of you listening, like you hear these stories and you hear about how like you're in the small group, you're working in the church, like all the right things, you're going on date nights, you're still having sex, like all of the things that we are coached to do. And so you can kind of develop this fear of like, oh my gosh, now I feel like, at least for me, I remember being like, I need to make sure this doesn't happen. And I love that whether it's an affair or not, there's so much... To that, too, of like you can maybe not one of you have an affair, but still be lacking that intimacy in a marriage that you can't always just force upon, but you have to go ahead and, like you said, be vulnerable with things. Like you were saying, like Josh confessed certain things that wasn't him having an affair, but that were parts of him that you never knew. And how when we allow that into our marriage, it changes everything. And then another thing I want to say really quick is just when you mentioned that vision that you guys had for your marriage, I don't know, to our culture when we talk about marriage and we talk about the fact that like you're not always going to feel in love and there's going to be things you see in your spouse that you're like, okay, I don't love that, but you're choosing to like continue on that road. I know that sounds so just like foreign to certain girls or guys to think like, why would I want to be in a marriage where I'm not feeling this like romantic love every day? And how, I mean, very quickly, I think the more you can just admit it from the beginning, it's like, I don't wake up every day feeling this like bubbly love. But there are seasons that I can ask God to restore that. First of all, like I want to like feel that every once in a while with my husband, but also I'm committed to this marriage because I'm choosing to love him every day for who he is, good and bad, and not needing to feel the emotions that come for that. And it kind of, Like in scripture, how we see the marriage between Christ and the church, like that's kind of how we are with God sometimes too. It's like, I don't always like feel compelled to go and read my Bible and read scripture, but I'm choosing to do this. And then that love and that feeling is for me always restored. And so I love that too of, yeah, we wanted to get back to an intimacy, but we're still going to choose to do this. And I'm wondering, did you in that moment, was there ever a doubt that you guys would not stay together or were you like, no, we're committed to seeing this through?
2: It's probably different for both of us. For me, it was a, it takes two people to get a divorce and I ain't doing it. And so I'm like, (laughs) by the grace of God, you know, you hear people or see people go through something awful, whatever it may be, and question, like, could I do that? I even now look back on that season of our marriage and like, where did that come from? Because kind of to your point a minute ago, it's like, it's everything you know about a person that gets you to an altar. And to a place mentally where you're like, I'm going to commit my life to this person. But as you're standing there saying for better, for worse, for richer, poorer in sickness and health, like it's all of the stuff that you don't know about the person or the future that you're committing to. Right. And so Mm -hmm. when you find yourself in these seasons, it's like, man, you got to dig deep. But I, I look back and for me, there was just no I knew pain and hardship. Jesus promised in this world you will have trouble. Some you bring on yourself, and other times you just stumble into it. And this was one of those that, you know, it was Katie's decision, but I had a responsibility in that, like, I had also been the one to lead us to this place in terms of how I was caring for her and shepherding her heart and had allowed for there to be any drift, even though I didn't see it. And so Katie... I think went through more of a season of questioning. Do I want to stay? Then came to a place of deciding Mm -hmm. she would stay. and I think you even knew, knew you would stay though. You were wanting to leave.
3: Yeah. I really, honestly, I would tell Josh this all along the way because one to your point, Samantha, for those feelings. And I just hope any girl listening to this, who is trying to get a vision for marriage, I really didn't have a vision that like at some level you're going to have to fight for your marriage. It's not because you are definitely going to face an affair or betrayal, but you are going to be hurt. You are going to be wounded. You are going to feel last place sometimes. There will come a point where you really do have to fight for that covenant and the vows that you made.
2: Or it's just that you don't feel romance or you don't feel the flirty fun or you don't desire to be intimate. And
3: that's what I think I learned because in our story, the extreme version is you've taken your heart, your love, your passion, and you put it on someone else. And so it ignites that Eros kind of love again. And that's what the world tells us. like You need to get back to that. You need your desires to be met. You need to feel that Eros affection and what Josh I would bring him these journals that I would write him when we were like 18 that would say mm. like snooky boo-boo you know and, all this stuff. <laughs> and I'd like, yeah. seriously be like I don't feel this yeah. way for you anymore I don't know if I'm ever going to feel this way I really thought I would stay with him and do the right thing by God and have like a pal we'll end this thing we'll be friends but like that will be dead and Josh would just say I'm asking you to go to a new place, a deeper place. And that's what I learned through our story is that the same God that authors those emotions, that authors all the feelings in your body, He is the one who can restore all of those things too, no matter how dire the circumstances are. But the truth is, in this whole model of like gardening and husbandry, that we hear a husband's supposed to be the woman is more complicated when it comes to emotions and feelings and her body lighting up and all of those things and so the husband i do think has this role of having to know that it takes cultivation and then the woman has to be open to being cultivated i mean that confession and intimacy now me telling him like hey here's a deep fear i have hey, I had this dream last night about this other guy. I mean, I tell him everything. And you would not believe that that is actually just opening ourselves up to let them come and pour into our emotions, to let them know what needs does she really have. And a lot of guys I think are missing it Just because they're shooting in the dark, they have no clue. Like, should I bring her a sweater? You know, like (laughs) fancy night out. They don't know because the woman's not opening herself up
0: to receiving that. Love. That's really good. That is so good. You guys are reminding me. My husband and I, one time in counseling, our counselor told us that a wise man once told me that my wife has been married to fifteen different men, and they've all Uh, been (laughs) me. So true. And it's kind of the joke, but I actually have a wedding planning business, and I love getting to know the new couples as I like get to just see the excitement of engagement. And one of the things they always say is like, "I just love who he is," or "I just love who she is." They'll always say that, and I always try to like put in my little two cents because I'm just like, "Hey." love who they are they will be someone different in a few years mm-hmm. and you know it's like true. I try to spin that in a positive direction but it is hard you know yeah almost loving nine all years, the versions yeah almost nine years into marriage when you get into just the realities of kids and jobs and life and not sleeping or childhood stuff is coming all the up things and yes. just life hits you and then you're like wow you're not the same person my husband and I are high school sweethearts so we've known each other since we were like 14 and I'm like well you're not the same person you were when you were 14 I'm like well thank goodness Yeah, I hope Exactly. With the same person, right. But that takes a lot of humility. Yeah. It takes a lot of vulnerability. It takes a lot of intimacy. It takes a lot of conversation. I mean, it's a ton of effort. It's really awesome, but it takes a lot of effort. So. A lot yeah. of effort.
2: That. That's yeah. why we say everybody mm-hmm. needs a second marriage or a new yes. marriage. Yes. Yes.
3: I love that. Yeah. Yes. It can be with the same person. And you're right. It takes so much effort. I mean, both of us kind of thought you could just drift along yeah. coast in this thing. And that is not the case. Like, we got this language early on that our relationship was supposed to be a 10 and everything else in our life, a two, even our children. And at first I was like, not a chance. Like even my mom and sister like knew <laughs> my sister was my first call all the time. And we really just started putting these principles in place. And that is what it is. It's mm-hmm. that much of a connection that it is a 10 to two he's my priority. He's my first call. He's the person I want to laugh with and be with and fight with all of those things. But it does not happen just by just coasting along as teammates. You really got to put in the effort.
2: To your point, I feel like that's one of these things that you see happen in couples that have been married 20, 30 years. Like you question, how could their marriage fall apart when they've been together 30 years or what Mm -hmm. is going on there? And a big part of it is like, man, when you first Met your husband's, like you were learning everything about him, taking in all the things. But the older we get, that need for a new marriage and the reality that he's changed 15 times like, man, I don't like the same food. I don't have the same hobbies. Yeah. My six pack is still there somewhere. Yeah. It's just covered. You know? So yeah. it's like an appearance in person. I'm entirely a different dude than the one that she first started dating. And to your point, man, praise God for that. But yeah. when we change, and our spouse changes and we stop being a student of the person they've become. Man, you just wake up one day without any of the feelings, not really knowing who they are anymore because you mm-hmm. you haven't been present, you know, mm-hmm. and so people people leave mentally and emotionally long before they go physically. So it's like to maintain intimacy, it is important to keep learning and pursuing and getting to know the person you think, you know, so.
0: Yep, that's so good.
1: I feel like in our phase, my oldest is in kindergarten, yours are right behind. And so it's kind of like that weird thing about when my husband, Justin, and I take time to go on a trip, a weekend trip, or there's still that weird tension of like, ooh, like, I feel like we leave our kids quite a bit, like, throughout the year for different things. And then going back to like, yeah, when they are all in college, like, I don't want to look back and say, wait, we're not friends anymore. Like, what happened to our friendship? Like, I am so... Like when girls, I hear, oh, we don't really have a date night or like there will be a day for the date night. It's like, oh, but you do hear those examples of like the kids go to college, they look at each other and it's like. I don't know you. Yeah, I don't know you. I'm like, not interested don't have, in knowing I don't, you. I don't have anything with you anymore. And so I know like in our friend group, we always like really applaud each other when it's like, yep, you're going on the maybe it can't happen. I mean, I remember it used to be like bi-weekly. And now it's like every couple months we make sure that's like a night out. But there's other ways that you're just trying to like keep that friendship there so that it's not like all about our kids because the kids hopefully will be gone and you still have to live with (laughs) each other. And so I love that idea. But something in your book that you talk about that I want to hear a little bit about too is the stay model. Will you explain what that stands for and what that means?
2: Yeah. So the book in terms of sections is kind of built out four sections. S-T-A-Y being an acrostic S is start with me. T is take quitting off the table. A is allow others to be a part of your story, and Y is yield to vision. And I would say each of those, kind of looking back, since we got on the other side of this season and started meeting with couples, like anything we have to offer, Katie has her master's in counseling, and I studied pastoral counseling in seminary, but really the book in terms of stuff that you don't learn in school is just kind of God words. The gift of that season for me was desperation. Mm-hmm. I had been in ministry for years, but there's something sweet about being desperate that you mm-hmm. just can't manufacture well in seasons where you're not. And so, man, I'd struggle to make it through the day just because of where my mind was at or heart was at. And so being desperate for God to save us, being desperate for God to heal me, to help my mind, what just brought about a pursuit of Him like Mm -hmm. I never had before, even serving in ministry. And so the principles are really just truths that we knew in our head that in a season of like pain and desperation, God moved to our heart to where now it's like that verse of praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of compassion and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others in the same trouble with the comfort we've received. And so there are principles where God met us in pain, comforted us that we were able to package to kind of be a guide for folks that are just wanting to get to a new place or folks that find themselves in a tough spot and are having a hard time figuring out how to get forward.
0: I love how you describe just like, yeah, something moving from my head to my heart, because I think just the awesomeness of being a friend of God and him being someone who hears my heart and mind is that I get to call on him and I get to say like, hey, this is in my head. I know this truth, but I don't feel this truth and I don't feel like I want to start with me. It's actually all the other person's problem or it doesn't feel like I want to take quitting off the table. Like, I just want to give up. This is really hard. So, Lord, like, help me. I mean, we get to call on him and say, help me move that from my head to my heart, Lord. And so I think it's cool because like there is a distinct difference between those two things. And we can be people who humbly come before our creator to say, God, I need your help doing that because that feels impossible right now.
2: Totally. And even with Start With Me, it's one of those things where like, for whatever reason, I knew God's best for me, God's best for our family was for us to stay together and that he was going to have to bring about change in both of us for that to happen. But It'd be so easy and normal for folks when one spouse has had an affair for you to point a finger at them and their sin because they brought about this pain. They made this decision. But it was just very evident that there was no switch in her that I could flip to make her love me again or make her want to stay. And so really all I could do in that season was go hard after God, believing he could make a way flip the script, do something new. And so in doing that, I had to bring him all of my anger. I had to bring him all of my sadness. I had to bring it all to him, which allowed him to meet me in it, but also kept me from putting all that on Katie. I didn't take anger out on her, not because I was that mature, but because like I had been going so hard after God all day just to get through the day that it let me try to do my best to love her when she was around to speak truth to her to serve her to try to pursue her not deal with my emotions on her so the start with me it in no way dismisses her decision her sin her responsibility for how we got here but in every relationship we both bring something to the table and so when one of you gets better you both get better
0: so good this is so wise. We want to jump into some practicals because obviously you guys said book is full of that and that's what we need because it's hard to like actually see, hey, how do I live this out? But in the book you have this quote that says given the right circumstances, none of us are exempt from drifting apart or making bad decisions that lead us to places we never thought we'd go. So in that, obviously you guys have talked about your story and shared that with us, but in that place, how would you encourage couples to engage in their relationships? Because we know that none of us are exempt of this, that it's an easy slipping right or left off of like the true north path. But talk to us about like, what does that practically look like? Maybe that could be red flags. It could just be practicals of like, these are things that we established in our marriage now so that we stay in that pattern. But talk to us about some of those.
3: Yeah, so it's interesting cuz my son who's 12, he's like a deep thinker and he's always scared that he's going to like ruin his future and he'll say like what if I do something that just ruins my future and My only counsel to them is I'm like, well, bud, you're probably not gonna steal a car tomorrow and go to jail, but you may steal a pin. So if you can steal a pin and then bring that to the light and say, I shouldn't have stole this pin, if you stay in God's light, when you make those small mistakes, you don't have to be as fearful for the major ones. I would say that to any young married couple too. Like I would hate for our story to make people be like, oh gosh, great, that's gonna happen to me, you know, or that could be my path. Because I truly believe that as long as you are putting these biblical principles into your marriage, you're focusing on it, you're going to have hard times and trials. But those places of devastation do not come for all couples. And so the principles in the book are really things that helped us rebuild that we still practice continually. So the start with me is basically that whole section has four different sections in it. But the basic principles around it are just like Josh said, like looking at what is happening inside of us, our feelings, our discontentment, our struggles, and realizing that those are our responsibilities, that those are ours to take to God. And how do you do that? In an affair, it's an example of a desire that's outside of the covenant, not surrendered to the covenant. That gap is supposed to go to God. But that's true with anything, just like Josh said, with his anger. Because he did not ever name call me or try to get that anger out on me. He knew where to take that, which then let me be able to do my own work, which was having to learn faithfulness and endurance and to stop selfishness and self love. If I would have been just dealing with his anger, I wouldn't have been able to start the healing process that I needed to bring wholeness to us. So it's principles around that includes the confession therapy, learning to be intimate with one another without holding each other responsible for everything. So maybe going going through.
2: through each of them a little bit. So like take quitting off the table, for example, I remember early on in our marriage, we would get in an argument and would drip something like maybe we would be better without each other. You know, or like some kind of we should just Mm -hmm. get a divorce, you know, like some kind of language. Yeah. Something that was supposed to be a dagger because you were so hurt or hurting so bad. You wanted them to feel that way. And so when you find yourself and I'm telling you, like in this season, we would stop if it was a television show or a movie that in any way normalized or glamorized divorce and remarriage. It's like, nope, not watching that with the language in our home like we will not use the word divorce we will not talk about our future or lives being better without each other like you can't take quitting off the table when there's any sign of it in your language or home and so that became a real hard line for us that was really just creating and reinforcing the culture and and future we wanted to have together allow others to be a part of your story We would all say, like you read through Scripture and hear about in church, that like having healthy people around you who love you but aren't all that impressed with you is a critical part of you making it through this life. That word of to spur you on towards love and good deeds literally means a kick in the butt. It's like a horse analogy of like folks that are going to keep spurring you on in the right direction. But when you really look at our lives, whether it's because of the kids or work or sports or just the season of life and pursuing a degree and being pregnant and moving and building a house, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it's so easy for what's a season of our life to define our life and that you can experience crowded loneliness of knowing a lot of people, but nobody really knowing you. And when you find yourself in a difficult season in marriage, like it is not the ideal time to try to find friends, you know, because where do you start? And so, see, I'd say each section just in but, terms of practicals. Yeah, it's basic stuff.
3: Sounds pretty loaded with good practicals. I love that. Well, I think honestly, like he's saying for us, for people that are in a deep place of pain, but also if you're really just trying to rebuild and grow stronger, those take quitting off the table, allow others to be part of your story. We still use when we get to stuck places in our marriage today, which we still do. You know, if we get to an argument where if you've ever been in that fight where you feel like you're getting in the same flow, ours was like we would get to this language where I'd be like, I just don't feel like we're a team you know, I feel like there's too much on me or it was like the same river we just could not get out of. And so we ended up saying like, let's just bring this to one of our friends that we admire, respect and help us to see what we're not seeing fight in front of them. And then the yield to vision gets real practical about dreaming together, about having your grandparent names, knowing what you want those days to look like when the kids go to college. Like we met couples that they always dreamed of having a gap year. And as soon as their kids left for college and they were empty nesters, they went for a whole year and lived abroad. And ideas that really give you vision for that time of like, what do we like to do together in this season? And then what are we dreaming about for how we want to end this thing together? Mm -hmm. And then rechecking in on that vision practically, you know, when you do go away. And then the other core principles that we talk a lot about is just that daily dialogue, date night I think date night is the most critical when you have those little kids at home. I really do. And I think it's the easiest time to put it on the chopping block. But the truth is that teamwork, parent in stress, it is so challenging for that romantic affection, intimacy that you were meant to have like as lovers first. And so we had to get really creative in seasons with date night when we could not afford the whole like. $200 $200 that it costs for a babysitter and dinner. And, yeah. all and
1: that. you had a lot of kids. So that just keeps ticking up the hourly rate it on that. Does. Yeah,
2: <laughs> It definitely yeah. does.
1: Yeah.
3: But, so I was telling Josh the other day, I was in this workout class and they said, use your core to prevent injury. And I was like, it's such a true statement for these core principles in life too. these rhythms that you said this every day when we pray together, when we dialogue, you know, we go on a walk. That's what we do at night is. We on to walk together, but having a date night, having this time of intimacy, having your Sabbath, knowing what you love to do as a family, like these core things, having the right people in your life, these core things I do think prevent injury or fall or big Mm. failure. Not that any of us is incapable of falling, but when we have these things in place in our marriage, they're protective. God's crafted these biblical principles to protect us.
1: Hmm. That's awesome. So good. You guys shared so much. I feel like anyone listening to this episode, whether you're married like Christian and I and have been for a bit or you're single and listening to it, I think there's so much we can take and apply to any area of our life where I love how you were talking about with your son, just like bringing sin to light. It's almost like the more we do that, the easier that gets. That just becomes habit and pattern in our life. And so thank you guys for sharing your story. I think it's good for people to hear the details. You know, obviously not every detail, but like here you share your story vulnerably so that we can say like, okay, that doesn't have to just be something I'm never going to think about. It's like, no, this can happen, but I don't have to be like you were saying as well. Afraid of it, but what are these practical tips? I love everything. We get to hear from a lot of authors, and there's a lot of great books, but I'm like genuinely so excited to read your book and hear all the practicals because it just sounds really awesome. So we really appreciate
3: you giving your time and sharing everything with us. Well, well, Thank thanks for you guys having for having us. It yeah. really does mean a lot. Thanks for your voice and impact in the world, getting that message of the gospel out in a real, authentic way we're really grateful. So thank you very much. Thank you guys. We will make
0: sure to put all the information yes. of where you guys can find their book. You can currently pre-order it. It comes out in January, but yes, I'm Mike. my husband and I are reading this together. Mm-hmm. So sounds like okay. a great tool. Yeah. So we just appreciate your time and just thanks for sharing your wisdom and your story today with us. Thank you guys. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at going there, the podcast.
1: And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend.
0: Talk to you soon.